Hello and welcome to episode 87 of the Live to Walk Again podcast. My name is Jeremy Dixon. I'm your host as always. Uh, with me, uh, again, finally, we were able to make this happen, Brandon Stevens. Brandon, say hello to the people. What's up, Jeremy? How, how you, what are you even talking about right now? We were supposed to do this for like the last two days and it kept getting pushed back, but it's all right, man. It's all right. I'm glad you could make time for us. Yeah, no doubt. We appreciate it. Well, I'd just like to know, everyone to know, this podcast will still be coming out on time. That's a fact. So. It's because I'm a grinder over here. Anyway. Uh, yeah, no, we uh, we have a great show today, Brandon. Um, I was able to uh, get in touch with a gentleman named Michael Murphy. Um, he wrote a book. He has a spinal cord injury. He wrote a book called When I Fell how I rerouted my life and found strength in a severed spinal cord. Hmm. So I got the advanced copy. I don't, I don't even need, need any more than that. The title will make me pick that book up. Yeah, exactly. It's no, it's, and it's great, man. It's really, really good. Yeah. I mean, I feel like with a title like that, that transcends spinal cord injuries. It, yeah. And the book does as well. So it, it, um, you know, I really, we had a great conversation, mm -hmm. uh, last week. And yeah, he, he sent me an advanced copy of the book so I could read it ahead of that interview. And, um, which yeah, you did. Yeah, I did. It, and I couldn't stop, man. It was like, it was the easiest read I've had. And, I, and you know me, I read all the time. Mm -hmm. So, um, it was, yeah, it was flowed super nice. Like, it was just a great book. And you know, it's funny. Um, my, when I was injured in 1998, um, my grandmother, uh, rest in peace, Edna Bagnario, Grandma mm -hmm. Baggy. Sure. She um, bought me the book on tape, on cassette tape of the uh, Christopher Christopher Reeves book. Yeah. I, don't, I don't even have the title of it. But I was just, at the time, I was, you know, angry. Yeah. Like, Weren't didn't really want to be to in a wheelchair. It. Don't want to hear about somebody else's experience in a wheelchair. Um, but obviously I've matured a lot since then. And, hey man, and, and I don't reading and I, you know, I haven't, I've never have read that book, but I read, oh. uh, reading Michael's book. Like I was just like, I Why wish I would have, yes, I was like, you know, man, I, really I don't wish I would have read that. I, there's, there's no real like rules for how you should respond to any ad adversity in your life, man. Especially when you have a traumatic experience, whether, you know, um, you have a life change altering event like a spinal cord injury or someone dies close to you. There's no rules on like how you should deal with those things. So, I mean, I know you're a young man and I was talking to someone the other day about, you know, I had a friend that passed away and his, his children were like 15, 14 years old and they didn't really show any emotion. But I was like, you know, when I was 15, like I didn't either. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. We just, we go through things different when we're young. So well, it's funny. you can't hold that against yourself is what I'm saying. I, yeah. It would have been, it would have been helpful if maybe you did, but just cause you didn't, doesn't make the, it make it wrong. Right. Right. Well, it's funny you say that cause uh, he talks a lot in the book about post-traumatic growth, mm -hmm. which yeah. is like a new exactly. kind of thing. I mean, it's not new. Like people have been overcoming like crazy things for, you know, yeah, but, it, it, but they didn't have a re oh, they didn't know why well yeah or they're just they saying like now they're like it. studying that yeah. that phenomenon um yeah i mean so, we go through we all go through these traumatic events differently and i don't think there's any wrong way yeah you so, know but i yeah, agree I, man like i always look back on my life too and been like oh i wish somebody would uh 
given me this or helped me along with this, but who knows if that would have made a difference, right? Right. Like if right. I'll be in a different place today, who knows? Yeah. So anyway, yeah. So, uh, the, the post-traumatic growth thing though, like we really, should talk some more about that sometime. Yeah. I was, yeah. We'll try to get somebody on to specifically talk That'd about that. Cool. We, me, me and Michael go into it quite a, a bit little too. Bit, yeah. Um, but yeah, it's, uh, yeah, it was a lot of fun, man. It was a great, great, uh, great what, experience, uh, great conversation. What kind of stuff? I mean, I'm sure we'll hear it in the interview, but I mean, just you know, we we touched on you know his faith. On um, he actually had a second spinal cord injury, which is crazy. Um, you know, they, it's just the the guy is like very fascinating. He's like one of those like so. It's just kind the of the, tra- the, the post traumatic growth could be different what do you mean for for each individual oh yeah basically it's, it's, yeah for sure everybody has their own experiences so mm-hmm. um you know you're you're uh you're gonna yeah our perspectives are only yeah, our perspectives are only that as well um you know are all are all shaped by our past experiences so everybody's perspective is going to be a, just a little bit different exactly exactly um, and one other thing before we get to the interview, I just wanted to talk uh, um, our guy, Anton Clifford. Um, he hit me up the other day. You know, he's... Yeah, like, shout we, out, we, Anton. We've been... We interviewed him in one of the very first episodes, I think. It's like one of the first few. And he, um, you know, he's been uh, working on being an actor. So he got a role and he, he texted me the other day. He's going to be... Um, it's going to be on the Oprah Winfrey Network. Um Queen Sugar season five episode nine on uh, Tuesday at eight seven central. If you don't catch the uh, original airing of it, it uh, replays on Hulu Dang. the next day. So you know, he got he's about to get his SAG card right I now. Know, man, it's, it's congratulations. Let's go. We have man, uh, yeah, man doing nothing. big. You're doing big things. Hey man, we have nothing but follow your dreams, huh? No, nothing but illustrious guests on this follow show. Follow your dreams, folks. Absolutely. So anyway, here's uh You want to make a podcast? Go make a podcast. Yeah. Do <laughs> anything's possible, man. Let's do it. So yeah, well, uh, here's the uh, interview with Michael. I hope you guys enjoy it. We'll talk to you on the other side. Oh, and one more thing. I can't believe I forgot. You can, uh, we appreciate you listening. Uh, please like, share, rate, review, and follow us. Uh, you can catch us on social media on Facebook or Instagram at Live to Walk Again or on Twitter at Live to Walk One or email us at Live to Walk Again at gmail.com. Send us questions, uh, comments, criticism, whatever you want to, whatever you want to put in there. Anyway, here's Michael Murphy. This week on the Live to Walk Again podcast, we are very excited to get to visit with Michael Murphy, who is the author of a new book called When I Fell, which is part one of a three-part series that comes out April 13th. Uh, He's an athlete, skier, speaker, and uh, Michael, my favorite uh, description that you used is proud paraplegic. Uh, How are you doing? Welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me, Jerry. Uh, Jeremy. I, I'm doing awesome, uh, considering uh, certain circumstances, but I, I'm doing great and, and really honored to be on with you. Yeah, thank you. I'm glad to have you for sure. Um, so, you know, Michael, for anybody who doesn't already know your story um, or doesn't know you personally, can you tell us a little bit about how you uh, were injured and suffered a spinal cord injury? 
Yeah, absolutely. So in the, in, in the spring of 2007, I was a junior at Randolph-Macon College in Ashland, Virginia, which is uh, right on 95, just up from uh, Richmond, Virginia. And um, at the time, I had retired from uh, being a two-sport collegiate athlete, playing football and baseball. And so I was kind of just being a college kid, enjoying life. And um, it was a Saturday night, and uh, I, I was, it was after a party. I was out with some friends, and I, I found myself on top of one of my friend's rooftops. Um, I was 21. I was not sober, um, and I ended up uh, – I was near the chimney, and I ended up uh, – I ended up falling off. I mean, the, the, the specifics of it are a little hazy, but I ended up falling off, uh, landed flat on my back, um, broke my T9, essentially shattered my T9 vertebrae, severing my spinal cord. Um, and I went, I was sent down to, uh, MCV VCU hospital in Richmond, Virginia. And, uh, I was in the hospital for, I was in the ICU for about 10 days. I had my reconstructive back surgery where they fused most of my, my thoracic, um, vertebrae and, you know, put 12 rods and a whole bunch of screws and hardware in my back. Um, and then I was, I did the inpatient thing, um, for the next five weeks. And after that, I went home for the summer, um, up back to Northern Virginia and I did outpatient therapy, um, for the next three months, um, at what is now MedStar National Rehabilitation Hospital, uh, in DC. And, um, as you know, so many of the paraplegics and quadriplegics know that when you're doing the rehab and recovery, it's, it's the road back to independence into your new normal. And for me at that time, it was, it was getting back to Ashland to, to be ready to go back for my senior year in the fall, um, that, that September. So the whole goal of that spring and summer was to be able to go back to school so I could, so I could, um, you know, graduate and, and with my, uh, with my classmates on time and, and just enjoy my senior year in a wheelchair. So, that, that's, that's kind of my, my accident in a, in a nutshell. Uh, it was a fall. Um, you know, you have your gunshots, your falls, your accidents. And I was, I happened to be one of the statistics. Right. Right. Well, um, after, so, you know, when I guess did, I know you did a little bit of writing in college from, yeah, I already was able to read the book. You were able to give me an advanced copy, which I definitely appreciate. And I loved it. I suggest everybody go out and, and get it, pre-order it if you can now. And um, that. yeah, definitely. Um, so what, how long after, I guess, um, the, the injury and, and getting back to, to school and back in the swing of things, did you decide to write the book and, and like how long in the making has it been? Cause I mean, how, how far post uh, we're like, like 13 years after post injury now, something like that. Yeah, we're coming up on 14 years on the uh, in about two weeks now. So, okay, wow. In, in terms of the writing, so this and the other two books uh, to follow, along with some other projects like grad school stuff, it's been over well over 10 years in the making. Um, but really, what the impetus of it was is it's sort of two and threefold. One at the time um, of my fall. I had retired from sports to pursue academics. I had found, I had essentially burned out of playing baseball and football since I was doing it since, you know, Little League and T-ball. So well, I had found a new passion in history. I was taking some classes and I, I was really enjoying the reading and writing aspects of it. Um, so that's, that was sort of what got my interest in the writing. Uh, 
And then while I was in the hospital, I, I kept this CaringBridge journal. Um, CaringBridge is a site where if somebody has an accident or someone's in the hospital, you can go on, you create a profile and visitors can come and log on, check updates, leave messages. And it was, it was a great source of, of support and love um, at a time when social media in 2007 was not what it is today. So it's just completely different. And what I did while I was an inpatient, I was writing these journals and letting all my followers know what I was doing. And, and that was a huge part of the healing process, which I can get into later about post-traumatic growth. And I was doing something that led to that without even knowing it but we can get into that later. So, so that was sort of the foundation of my book. As I got into the summer and I was doing more of those journals and I was finishing my classes and getting ready for my senior year, I started to realize like this could be a good foundation, a good launching point for a book at some point. At the time in my head, I'm like, oh, I, I'll write this book in you know two years and I'll be done with it. Little did I know that it's taken about 13 years to, to, finish, the, to finish the project. But I also wanted to, I wanted to be an author. That was always sort of a goal of mine, becoming the history nerd that I am, just to be a published author. But as the years went on, I started to realize that I had a story to tell. I've been impacting a lot of people who have told me, you know, did the whole inspiration thing. Thank you so much. The, your, your attitude and effort, that whole thing that, that so many of us get when we have these injuries and the way so many of us bounce back and approach them in such positive ways. And so all of this sort of came together and was like, you know what, I should just, I should start writing. So it was about a year afterwards when I, in 2009, oh, two years, in 2009, when I really almost write, I wrote my first chapter and uh, it's, it's not in the book because that was so long ago, but uh, it was about running on the mall in Washington, DC and the memories of that, of, uh, that I have of, of running and really feeling my feet. I can still I can still see that in my mind. So so that was all sort of the impetus of it and, and really wanting to help people. I knew I had a story. I knew I had messages and I knew there's people out there who need stuff like this. And uh, and there was a book that I read um, called Gimp by Mark Zupan, who was in the, uh, the documentary Murderball. Um, I read his book and it really helped me. And this is my way of sort of uh, passing it on and 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 helping other people and, and just pushing it forward and, and doing what I can to, to just in, influence, impact, and, and help as many people as I can who are in a tough situation. No, that, that's uh, very, very admirable of you. Um, and, and the book, like I said already, I mean, I, I'm like going to just sound like a complete homer, but um, yeah, it's, it's fantastic. I, I suggest anybody go out and, and get it. Cause I think that people, you know, that don't have spinal cord injuries could benefit from the, like the way you wrote it is, is amazing. And, and um, just kind of the descriptions that you, you know, make of, of really difficult times in, and, and it's not all about your spinal cord injury either. So that's the thing that I think, you know, people from, you know, all walks of life can definitely get something out of this. Um, and, and so just like a brief overview of the book, Michael, it, um, I guess it, it kind of follows you, you describe kind of your, your growing up your adolescent years um, up until your injury on one timeline. And then another timeline deals with um, both the post-traumatic growth and like, kind of immediate aftermath of you going to the hospital. Right. Um, so talk, talk about how 
you know, how, how the decision to put all the post-traumatic growth stuff in, because I found that very um, enlightening and, you know, I, I've kind of dug into that a little more since, you know, reading the book over the last like three weeks. Um, but yeah, where, where did that come from? Um, you know, in your kind of recovery process from, yeah. from your injury. Yeah, absolutely. And again, thank you so much. The, just such kind words to get feedback like that. Um, I really appreciate that. And, and those timelines, yeah, there it's, I wanted to focus on, originally the book was supposed to be one big book and then I realized it was too much. Then I cut it down to two parts Then I cut it down to three parts. So that's why there's a lot of my growing up in this book. And it almost sort of ends a little bit abruptly because I, I want people to keep reading, but I also wanted, I wanted to touch on a lot of my growing up and, and leading up to it, uh, leading up to my accident, because so much of my youth and the people around me, coaches, teachers, what my parents taught me, um, being in a wheelchair, my freshman year of high school, like all of this stuff I realized was 21 years of essentially of a boot camp leading up to my accident and preparing me to live this life. So that's why I sort of have these two timelines that are separate, but then they essentially converge. Um, and with the post-traumatic growth, the interesting, it's such a fascinating thing. And, and I had no idea this thing existed. I was living with post-traumatic growth. I've been doing things over the last 10 years that clinicians and doctors and scientists say that if you do this stuff, you are, you are statistically proven essentially to reach some sort of growth after your trauma. And it was, a, it was about three years ago now where I was, I was sort of shopping around a really early version of my manuscript. Um, and I gave it to a friend of mine who, who I graduated from high school with. And uh, he's written a couple books and um, he's, he's a big, he was a big editor at the Atlantic and he's done some TV spots. So I really trusted him and, and he gave me some great feedback. Um, he says, this has a lot of potential. And he was like, do take some time to research something called post-traumatic growth or PTG. And I was like, okay, I'd never heard of it before. And I started researching it and I just started saying, holy crap, this is me. Oh my gosh, I did this. I've been living this. And, and, and I realized that there was a, di there's, there's a disconnect between the academic world of post-traumatic growth, which I will quote, I'll quote it from my book, which is quoted from um, doctors Richard Tedeschi and Lawrence Calhoun from uh, University of North Carolina at Charlotte, who essentially coined PTG, even though it's been, even though the idea of strength through suffering has been around for millennia, um, they define it as positive change experience as a result of the struggle with a major life crisis or a traumatic event. And here I am doing all this research, trying to figure out how to weave it into my book um, while not claiming that I'm a professional or I'm some uh, doctor who has studied this stuff for years because I'm not. But what I wanted to be was essentially a middleman with this book because there's the disconnect. I've been living with this stuff for over a decade and I didn't even know it existed. So what does that sort of tell us? That there is... You have your academic world of just really, really smart people who may not always connect with real world people. And then the real world, boom, 
may not always connect with the academic world, but sometimes you need that middle ground or that middleman to send the messages back and forth and let the real world know, hey, there's this thing out there that if you study and you read up on, you'll bounce back from that, that trauma you're having or that tough, that really life-changing thing you're going through. And so that's kind of what I wanted to do here. And, and, and I, I don't, I talk about it a little bit, but I'm also saving some of it for parts two and three, because as we move into the next books, the next two books, you know, parts get darker, but then parts get better. And, uh, and as you get towards the third book and get into a lot of my adaptive sports and stuff, the, the, the growth inside of me really sort of comes out because in those first couple years, um, I was still figuring things out. I, I was still learning how to be a paraplegic. I, it, you know, it took me a year and a half after my accident to even find adaptive sports and get into that. Um, so that was kind of my big motivation um, with this. And, and I use this acronym AWAKE that, um, that Derek Thompson, who, who's the friend of mine who, who introduced this to me and I, and I graduated with high, uh, graduated high school with, he's, he sort of said, hey, try to, try to, try to use this and, uh, and weave it in. And I use the acronym AWAKE and I'm gonna pull it up here in just a sec. Um, essentially AWAKE is awareness, warrior spirit, attachment, knowledge of self and ecstasy. And those are really the five major ways that the, that the professionals have found that you can grow. Um, new opportunities, new possibilities, you know, strength because you went through something, you can get through this. Closer relationships with certain people or connections with groups of people like other paraplegics, other quadriplegics, uh, quadriplegics and uh, also greater appreciation for life and living. You know, you have this event where you could have died and now you live every moment. Uh, and then a lot of people experience uh, a growth in faith, spiritual ecstasy. And, and I certainly had that after my accident. So, so that's, that's sort of how I sort of use post-traumatic growth. But again, I just want to reiterate that I'm really just trying to introduce this to the world and be that middleman because I know so many people haven't heard about it. And when they do, they're just sort of shocked that this is a new thing. It's a new scientific phenomenon that's happened over the last 20 years since the mid 1990s. Yeah. Wow. That's uh, that's really crazy. Just kind of fell in your lap like that, but yeah. you know, um, that, that's so cool though, that, you know, I think things are definitely like, we're all connected in some way, I believe. So, you know, yep. it's cool that that, that your, your friend from high school was able to bring that to you. Um, you know, what, one part in the book specifically that, and, and if you want me to, if this goes too in depth and you don't want it in there, I'll, I can cut it out. But, you know, when you were talking about after your accident, you're in the hospital, you're going, everything's a kind of a blur. And, and all of us that have had spinal cord injuries know that feeling and they make you do all the, you know, you do occupational therapy for this many hours a day, you do physical therapy for this many hours a day. Yeah. And then they make you go into these groups with people that, you know, might not have the, yeah. even all have spinal cord injury. Maybe somebody has got a stroke. You, you talked about that. You just, after a couple of days of going to the group, you just couldn't go anymore because, and, and basically you were probably dealing with, you know, it was probably the post-traumatic growth. that was like, I can't like, you know, look at um, people that are just, you know, either miserable or not 
kind of taking advantage of the opportunity we have working out here, whatever the case may be. Cause yeah. I had a lot of those similar feelings when, when I was in the hospital, you know, a few years prior to you being, being injured. Um, so you know, talk about that. And, and I guess how that, cause that, to me, that stuck out in the book quite a bit, that, that story about how you had to kind of take control of your own recovery in that moment. Yeah. I, I remember one day I was just like, screw it. I'm not going. And, and they came to my, to my room in the hospital and they're like, um, are, are you coming to, to the group meeting? And I said, Nope. And I just sent, sent them on their way. And the reason for that was, and I, I had gone to these group meetings a handful of times and everybody's sitting around. And the first, the first day in the first hand, you know, until I stopped going, it was, it was so much, woe is me. Woe is this. And just so much whining, bitching, and complaining. Now, looking back, I, I get it. Everybody has their own timeline of bouncing back. And at that time, we're all impatient. So we have had, we've just had our accidents. So looking back, in a way, I'm, I, I don't blame them for that woe is me attitude. But I'm really fortunate to have always been a very positive person. I was very fortunate to have a whole bunch of friends and family around me after my accident constantly. I was 15 minutes down the road from all my college buddies, my college campus. I was an hour and a half down the road from my hometown. So I had a flood of, of visitors and I was really fortunate to, to maintain a positive mindset. I was smiling a lot. I, I accepted my accident from the second I fell. The second I fell off that roof and I tried to sit up, and I don't remember this, but my friend said that I, I sat up. I almost had like that, oh crap look. And I laid back down. And I remember when I tried to move my legs, I couldn't. And I knew exactly what that meant. But I accepted it. I knew I'd put myself in this situation. I accepted it. So I was, I was really maintaining a positive attitude and a, and a really good mental space. And the last thing I needed was to be surrounded by people venting. Now that venting is really healthy. I know that. Having those low moments, those low points, crying, getting the emotion out, it's healthy. I know that. It's part of the, of the, of the struggling process as you move towards growth and away from your trauma. But at the time, I just didn't need it. So I was like, screw this, man. I'm just going gonna, gonna to stay in my room. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to flip through my Bible. I'm going to I'm going to have my lunch. I'm going to have me time. So um, it, I'm glad you kind of resonated with that. And, and I'm, I'm hoping a lot of people are in our situation um, have or, or will when the, when the book comes out, because little stories like that, it really I, I hope it pulls the curtain back for people who have never had a spinal cord injury or have never really had a traumatic um, physical or mental event. Um, because stuff like that, like you may not hear about it, but it's powerful stuff in good ways and bad ways. And, and at the time I needed, I needed to be in a positive place and I needed to be away from, I needed to be away from that group. Yeah, no, that, that makes a lot of sense for sure. Um, you know, I, yeah, I, I was feeling the same way at that point in my, in my, uh, journey. So I, I definitely, uh, can relate in, in, in the book in general, um, talking about the, the, the post-injury, immediately post-injury time, you, you talk about some pretty 
in-depth like heavy stuff and um (laughs) you know did you have any apprehension of going so like in detail about some of the I mean it's you're you definitely keep it real for for sure man so oh you you, oh oh, you're talking about the bow program and the bow yeah like yeah (laughs) stuff like that I mean it's yeah the the bow program the catheterization (laughs) stuff like that like uh yeah was there was there any apprehension to to go that that far in depth with some of that stuff or you know what? There were times, yes, in the writing process, all the years of writing, I would, I would take out that chapter. I would put it over in my note uh, program. I was like, no, I'm not going to include this. Well, maybe I should include this. I, if I'm pulling back the curtain, I need to be real with people. Um, and so there was definitely back and forth to include stuff like learning how to do a bowel program. And if you, if, if you're an able body, you don't have a spinal cord injury, that is, that's part of our lives we have to deal with. And it's not fun to talk about. It's, uh, it's not fun to do, but it's something you have to learn. And, and I knew it was really the right thing when my aunt Paige, who is a quadriplegic, I'm the second, par- I'm the second person in our family with a spinal cord injury. Um, so that's an interesting little factoid. I'm sure there's not a ton of families out there with two spinal cord injuries. Um, actually technically three, since I just had my, technically my second one, but she, she, she got an early copy of the book and, and, and she read that chapter and she came to me and she was really heartfelt. And she, and she was like, I, I just wanted to thank you for keeping it real. She literally used those words that you, you use keeping it real. And I was like, you know what, that I appreciate you saying that. And, And that's when I knew it was, um, it was the right thing to do because I keep claiming I'm pulling back the curtain. And if I didn't include that stuff, there'd be gaps and there'd be holes in the stories. And um, when it comes to, when it comes to book two that I'm, I'm uh, hard at work on, I definitely keep it real at certain times. And uh, so I can't wait for people to read that part. Um, So I'm not going to get into that, but it definitely keeps it real. And it's uh, it's not pretty. Um, that's just a little teaser, but yeah, I, I, yeah, I'm I'm, I'm glad glad you brought that up and I'm I'm glad you resonated with that. Yeah, no, it was, yeah, I mean, I definitely, uh, yeah, it was, it was a good, I think it was a good, good thing to keep that in there. So, um, you know, I wanted to also know, so when exactly are, are you planning on bringing the second and uh, third installments of the book out? That's a great, that's a great question. It's, uh, hopefully in the next couple years, hopefully I can get it done in the next two years. I mean, this took me so long to write, but I've, I was also, I've been working on parts two and three all this time as well. So there's a lot of part two that's done. Um, and, but there's probably going to be a ton of back and forth with my, my amazing editor, uh, Virginia Cederton, um, who, who really, who, who really, uh, did a lot for this book in terms of whittling, whittling down and, and just trimming the fat. Um, she did an amazing job editing this book because um, there was so much flowery stuff that, that was in there that was cut. But it's, I, I also, I, I don't write every day. Um, I do it a lot when the moment hits and there's, and like right now I'm, I'm recovering uh, from my surgery three weeks ago. So I haven't done anything. And uh, so it's, it's going to be hard for the next couple months, but Hopefully I can get it done uh, soon. 
Um, but I, I have no idea how long it's going to be. Right, right. So is it just going to be called then When I Fell Part 2 and When I Fell Part 3? Are you going to name it something different, have it be part of this, you know, the series? Hmm. Should I should I reveal the name? <laughs> hmm. Um. I I have revealed uh, the name for the the main title for for part two. Um. It's gonna, it's called When I Fought. Um. I'm not gonna reveal part three. I I don't have a subtitle for the second one yet. But it's it's following the the When I sort of uh title. Um. Part two gets a little darker. Um, there's some, there's some really great moments in there, but, um, the idea is to try to make it a little bit darker. Um, when I hit some of those low moments, especially when I go back to school and I'm surrounded in, in an environment where everything reminds me of my able-bodied life and I'm the only one on campus in a wheelchair type of thing. Um, and I actually give a sneak peek at that, uh, at the very, very end of when I fell, um, sort of a real, a quick, quick chapter preview of life back on campus um yeah I, I was gonna bring that up that i you yeah, know yeah. i can definitely relate to yeah that that feel it you know when you were yeah i don't want to give it away but yeah when you were talking <laughs> about you know kind of feeling left out more or less or you know not right. being able to participate in everything that your friends are doing it's it definitely is is a difficult uh difficult thing to come to grips with um, absolutely yeah yeah so um and then, you know, I, I, the other thing I wanted to know, you talked about, um, oh man, I had the, I had the verse written down here, the, uh, the uh, Isaiah book 40, verse 30, yeah. you talked about your, your kind of finding your, your religion again, or I don't know if you want to call it that, um, yeah. but you know, you, you kind of got sparked again, um, religiously Absolutely. after your in after your uh, accident and um, you know, you talked about Isaiah book 40 verse 31. I didn't write the whole thing down, but you know, you talked about how that really resonated with you. Um, just talk about how that kind of helped get you through and, and keep you so positive in the early days after your injury. Yeah, absolutely. Essentially it's um, those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings of Eagle. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not grow faint. I, I might have butchered that, but essentially those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. And um, I mean, I, I grew up in a, in a fairly religious household, the Baptist Christian and uh, going to the, the church on Sunday, uh, but not really wanting to. Um, my, my mom and my grandmother were probably the most religious in the family. And um, kind of shortly before my accident, I took, a, I took a, an intro to religion class um, or was it, it was, no, it was a new Testament class. And so I was, I was taking this class and I was learning a lot about it. And this was about maybe a semester before my accident. So that was a, that was a spark. And then when the accident happened, I kept getting, uh, greet, get well cards. Um, or there was, uh, an advertisement for a Bible on TV where the special verse in the front cover was Isaiah 41, Isaiah 4031. And, and the get well cards had Isaiah 4031. And a gift that somebody gave me mentioned Isaiah 41. It just kept coming up. Um, and, and that coupled with um, my mom giving me the, the suggestion of 
when you're in the hospital and you don't want to go to those group meetings and you want to find some strength, flip open your Bible and just go to Psalms and just start reading. And I did that. And there's something amazing about the entire book of Psalms where if you just start reading, you can just relate so much of that stuff to, uh, to your life. And that's what I did. And, you know, I know not everybody is religious and I know it's not everybody's cup of tea, but with the post-traumatic growth and the ecstasy that the word, we use that word uh, to help with the AWAKE acronym, but I didn't want it to be strictly religious because a lot of people can be spiritual and have a spiritual awakening without, you know, being traditionally religious. But for me, that's sort of what it was. And it, it was sort of an awakening. And, and it, the accident was a moment of realization of, of my new purpose and meaning in life and an appreciation for life and the fact that I was still alive. I mean, I mentioned that chapter where I, I, I was almost crying in the hospital when I realized and smiling that, oh my gosh, I'm alive. I didn't die. I woke up. Um, all that sort of came together to sort of, to sort of fill me with a new faith um, that, you know, sometimes it comes and goes, I'm not, I'm not the best Christian. Don't go to church on every Sunday, but I do have a relationship with God. And, and, and that's me. And, and again, it's not for everybody, but that's, that's me personally. But at the same time, there's a lot of people out there who can relate to that. Um, so, so yeah, that, I, I, that was a part of the book. I, I felt I, I needed to include. And again, it w my story would have been incomplete if I didn't include it. No, it's very, that's, uh, it was, there were some powerful, there's some really like you reminding me of that when uh, you started uh, in the book, when you started crying and were just like so happy that you were still alive like that yeah. definitely made me choke up, man, when I was, when I was reading yeah. it. So it's uh it definitely hit all of the emotional uh, triggers, you know, um, Boom. Good, so. there, that success, that was, that was my goal is to get, have people have an emotional reaction. Yeah. And I've, I've had a couple of friends who said they, they've got choked up. So uh, that makes, I hate, I hate that I almost brought you to tears. I hate that I almost brought some of my friends to tears, but that's the goal with this book. And I, I've all, whether it's, whether I'm speaking to an audience or talking to somebody just in person, one-on-one, -on -one, or I'm writing a book or I'm, I'm writing a certain caption for one of my Instagram posts. I always want to have some sort of emotional connection or to, um, bring out an emotional reaction with somebody in some form. And, and to hear that really means a lot, man. I, I, it, it really means a lot. And it's, it's almost like all this hard work is, is finally paying off of all this damn writing. <laughs> no, it is. It, it definitely is a, is a great, great, uh, great book. So yeah, you know, you, I guess you, you touch on it a little bit in the book about being an adaptive athlete and, um, at least the skiing side of things. How I, how did you get to the point where you decided to go to the top of a mountain, strap yourself onto a onto a mono ski, and and throw yourself down? Like what? Where did that um, come from? From a from a kid from Virginia to to be out in uh, Denver, Colorado. I know it's it's, it's a or little. Are you in Denver? Maybe you're not even in Denver. No, no I'm I'm, cur I, I'm currently in Denver, okay. and uh, if this was a normal year, I I would have been training all all season, but uh, I had some back stuff, and that's the second spinal cord injury that sort of sidelined me since December. But essentially, it all began in um, in August of 
August of 2008, and I'll, I'll, I'll try to keep it short because it could be a long story. But um, I'll take as much as you want to put into it, man. Yeah. I'm fine. We, we have nothing but time. So, so I, I came in one day. I'm still, uh, it's, I just a couple months after graduating uh, from Randolph Macon on time with all my classmates, which is amazing. Um, but the original plan was to go into the military and, and hopefully become an officer in the Marine Corps after I graduated. But, you know, the accident sort of uh, threw that plane out the window a little bit. Um, so I was kind of, I'm, I'm in this sort of uh, transition phase where I'm kind of lost. I don't know what I'm going to do. Um, do I, what, am I still, do I want to go to grad school now, now that I'm not going to go to the Marine Corps? Um, and one day I came in, it was a muggy August day in, in Northern Virginia. And my mom said to me, how would you like to raise money for spinal cord injury research and get in really good shape at the same time? The words barely left their mouth before I was like, yep, okay, sign me up. But you don't even know what it is. I don't care. Sign me up. Sounds perfect. And she began to tell me how through a friend of a friend, they had connect, they got a connection through um, to the Christopher and Dana Reeve Foundation. And the plan was that they would get me a spot in the 2008 Marine Corps Marathon in Washington, DC, right in my backyard in exchange for being on um, Team Reeve and raising at least, I think it was at least $1,500 towards their spinal cord injury research stuff. And $1,500 eventually uh, turned into almost $25,000 just that first year uh, training with them. But so after that first conversation with my mom, um, I went to Walter Reed uh, Army Medical Center uh, in DC, where I met with the Achilles team of wounded veterans, uh, another adaptive uh, organization that, uh, that is catered or it's geared towards um, wounded warriors and getting them into hand cycles and stuff like that. Um, so Team Reeve sort of put me in touch with them and, and that's where I sort of got my loaner hand cycle. And that was essentially the beginning. And that race a couple months later uh, at the Marine Corps Marathon in 2008, that was essentially the beginning of my, my you know, entrance into the world of adaptive sports. And it wasn't long after that where I was like, I was hooked immediately, one, the first time I got on a hand cycle. I was completely hooked, riding around the campus of Walter Reed Army Medical Center. Um, and I actually talked about, I actually wrote this story in one of my blogs on my website. Um, and I talk about how the second I started going fast, I was hooked because I've always sort of been an adrenaline junkie. I've always been a competitive athlete. I come from a family of competitive athletes uh, and sports have always been in my life until they were taken away from me. Um, yes, I retired, but then they're really taken away from me after my accident when I, when I couldn't like do the intramural sports thing to sort of get that uh, sports fix in college, like so many people do who, who retire from traditional sports. But so then after that, I just tried, I was trying all of them. I was trying the sled hockey. I was trying the wheelchair basketball. I, I even tried, um, a quad rugby, uh, even though I'm not a quad, but I was, I, I did some practices with the DC, uh, rugby team and the collisions and that just took me right back to football. And it was amazing. Uh, and then I got into skiing 
Um, but that was, it was really just the skiing early on was not what it is now. Uh, it was a couple times in the winter uh, for the first five years or so uh, on East Coast uh, mountains and slopes, which are, you know, kind of anthills compared to what's out here in Colorado. Um, and as the years went on and time went by, I started getting, I focused on hand cycling and I started racing and doing time trials. And I met this whole new group of friends and teammates with uh, Paralyzed Veterans of America and their hand cycling program. They essentially brought me on and they, they jokingly referred to me as the wannabe because uh, they knew I had intentions of going to the military, but I never actually did. So they would sort of rid me for that and stuff. But I found this amazing group of people in the world of adaptive sports. I just, we could talk about our problems and we could joke about our, pro our problems and we could make fun of each other for being in wheelchairs and, and, and able-bodied passersby would just be shocked that we would make fun of each other. Um, and then I sort of, I made an early goal to go to the Paralympics in like 2009 or 2010 way before I had any business making that sort of lofty goal. And I'm still pursuing that goal. I still could have four or five more years until I even reached that goal. Um, but it was about five or six years ago now where I transitioned from uh, hand cycling to skiing. Because one, I'm, I don't have a hand cyclist or a cyclist body. I'm a bigger dude. I, I was a linebacker and fullback uh, playing football. I'm not long and lean, which isn't ideal for cycling. So I decided to switch to skiing uh, and use my weight to carry me down the hill and, and have gravity help me out. Um, and it was around that time, about five years, six years ago, when uh, my now wife, we decided to move out to Denver, one for the lifestyle, uh, two for 300 days of sunshine, the camping, but also because of the programs here um, that I would need to be in um, to essentially go where I want to go, uh, to the Paralympic and to the international level. Um, and so that's when I started training, um, with the national sports center for the disabled in winter park, Colorado, where I get to literally train with gold medalist Paralympians, uh, from New Zealand, um, medalists from Chile, uh, athletes on the, on the Great Britain team, um, people from Japan, it, everybody comes to this place to train essentially because it's one of the best in the countries. And that's kind of how I sort of ended up uh, here in Denver, uh, so far away from our family on the East Coast, away from all the nieces and nephews, um, but li happy living this life and, and still pursuing my Paralympic dream. And, and uh, I was recently asked what's one of the toughest things to have overcome and it's my Paralympic dream because I simply haven't overcome it yet. And I'm still working on it. Oh, wow, man. Well, yeah, we'll definitely, we're, we're all rooting for you. Um, yeah, that, that's very cool, man. Um, you know, and I'm, I'm almost like scared to ask how you suffered this second spinal cord injury. Oh. I was kind of uh, waiting till the end to ask about that. So yeah, okay. what, um, how, how, how did that come about? And I excited. Yeah. I saw on Instagram a couple of weeks ago, you were in the hospital. I was like, Oh man, I better, I shot you a message to say, I hope you're all right. And uh, yeah, I didn't realize it was that, that um, significant though. So yeah. Tell us about what happened. Absolutely. Uh, one, I didn't know a second spinal cord injury 
could be possible. So when it started to happen, it was as big of a shock to me as it is to people who have heard about it. So see, right now it's April. So back in late September, early October, I noticed some weird changes in my body. Specifically, there was about a two-week span where my spasms in my legs started to go absolutely crazy for about two weeks, almost uncontrollable. They've never been like that. I couldn't even ride my hand cycle because it would pop out. My legs have always been spastic since my injury. I've always kept really kind of pretty decent tone for well over a decade. Um, I don't have to worry about um, swollen feet just because I have really good blood circulation from so much uh, spasticity um, below my injury. But then there was about a two-week period when they went off the charts. It was almost like the, their final death throes. And then they just stopped. And they just went away. And I noticed I was having bladder issues. My, I was having issues with the bowel program stuff. And, and I was having changes in sexual function or, or that, was, that was different from before. Just all these crazy changes and it was a lady at Craig Hospital uh, here in Denver, which is a great hospital for uh, people with spinal cord injuries. Um, she had a weird suspicion that it had something to do with an impingement on my spinal cord. And so we, we scheduled the MRI and she confirmed it in late December uh, that right below my rods and screws where my back was fused. So if you think of just picture you know, two rods going up and down, the very bottom of that at my L1 vertebrae, kind of way down my back, that's where the, that's where the rods and screws stopped. So a decade of being a decade plus of being an adaptive athlete, all the bending, lifting and twisting, it just puts so much pressure right below there on that L1 and it started to squeeze and press the spinal cord. And apparently that down at that L1 is where a lot of the, um, the, I guess the, the reflex comes from for a lot of the bowel, bladder, sexual stuff and tone. It all stems from that kind of spot. So I didn't fall, I wasn't you know, shot or no car accident, but after so many years of being as active as I am, it was literally squeezing and pressing the spinal cord that she considered it an injury enough where I made the decision in December to cancel my ski season this year. Uh, I haven't been on the slope since early December and it kind of is driving me crazy. My back pain was through the roof. I was, I've been constantly uncomfortable over the last few months uh, leading up to my surgery. Um, trying to do any type of workouts were tough. Um, and this was, and all of this was happening. My second spinal cord injury and all the stuff that, that I had to go, go through and deal with. And, and now with the recovery after the surgery to extend that fusion and add more rods and screws in my back, lower down to sort of open up and, and sort of release the pressure. It's all coming right with the release of, of my book that I've been working on for 10 years. So it's just so ironic and it's kind of Murphy's law and I live my, live my life by Murphy's law, uh, as you could imagine. And it's, it's just kind of weird how writing about and talking about my first spinal cord injury as I'm kind of reliving all this stuff with my second one. And, um, 
and in recent months, there's, there's been some tough times because ha- not being able to work out, um, like I remember Dr. McCullough was saying, he has to work out or he goes crazy in, in, your, last, in your last episode. Right. And not being able to ski, not really being able to get out and do a lot of stuff. Um, so there's been some low points with that. And it's now it's, things are getting better, but I'm, I'm still not even 100%. I mean, I still have to wear this shell right now for another uh, two plus months. Um, I, I don't feel a hundred percent, but, um, it's certainly bringing back a lot of those fresh, similar memories and, uh, physical, uh, memories and mental memories, whatever of my first uh, injury back in 2007. And so now I get to go through it all over again, but, uh, wow. I'm a veteran, I'm a veteran of the spinal cord injury. So, I, I have a little bit more uh, ammo in my pocket um, to to sort of deal with this stuff, and yeah. and it helps. Yeah, as, as a veteran SCI. Right, right. Did they um, have you do any like rehab stuff while you were in? Like, how long how long did you end up spending in the hospital with that second uh, surgery and and the aftermaths of that? Yeah, so I I was only in the hospital for four days. Um, in hindsight, I probably should have done one more day. Um, just in terms of just pain management and stuff and a little bit uncomfortable the, that first night I came home. Um, but I haven't really done a lot of rehab stuff. I can't really do a lot. Um, but it's different than the first time around because I'm not relearning how to do everything. I'm not, I'm not learning how to sit up or put on my shoes. I'm not learning how to get dressed or transfer in and out of my chair. Um, although I am using a transfer board to get in the shower uh, and I need some help with that. So um, that's kind of similar. But yeah, I'm not really doing a lot of, um, you know, rehab stuff. But I am trying to figure out ways how to get a little bit of exercise, uh, even though I'm technically not allowed to. No bending, lifting, or twisting, I say. But I was doing a lot of work uh, in 2007, a couple weeks after my accident, in terms of inpatient rehab. So if I was doing it then, I don't know why I can't sort of the next week or two start to get a little bit of uh, exercise in to, to cause I feel like I'm withering away. It's been three, it's been, it's been weeks. I haven't gotten a workout in. No, oh, man, that sucks. Yeah. Hopefully you'll be able to, to get back to it with that, you know, in the near future for sure. Right. You know, and then I guess kind of at, at end of our interview here, I wanted to ask you, I, I couldn't let it go without, without talking about, your Instagram story from a couple of weeks ago when you got trapped in the bathroom. Uh, talk, talk about, I mean, that's something that's happened to damn near everybody. I would imagine in this dealing with a spinal cord injury in a wheelchair, but uh, yeah, I woke up one, I think Saturday or Sunday morning to uh, you had like six new uh, posts on your Instagram story. And it was, I, I was, uh, I was hooked, man. I couldn't stop. Uh, stop watching hoping for a happy ending apparently you were you weren't the only one the amount of response that i got from people waiting for me to post the next story what is happening what's going on are you out of the bathroom yet did they rescue you how many hours were you in there so so we we went to brunch uh at a place called snooze at union station in downtown denver and uh union station is a big train station there's all these shops and restaurants inside of it there's a public bathroom in this hall outside of the breakfast place we were at. And um, it's one, it's, it's, it's a family one, but you need a code to get in. So you have to, 
So the security guard of Union Station, they came over and he sort of unlocked it and, and let me in. And uh, normal, go in the bathroom. Fortunately, it was a clean bathroom, single bathroom. And uh, I shut the door. When I shut it, I, I gave it a little shove because, you know, it felt like it was stuck a little bit. So I gave it a little, a little elbow grease and, and shut it, thinking nothing of it. Uh, go to the bathroom, wash my hands, do my thing, and uh, go to open the door and uh, doesn't budge. And I'm like, hmm, okay. Uh, and I try to fiddle with the, the deadbolt and I keep pulling and I keep pulling and I pull harder and harder. And I go, oh crap, something's not right. And I realize I'm stuck. In, I'm stuck in a damn bathroom. And and so I proceed to to text my my mom and my wife. Um, Please get security. I'm stuck in the bathroom. And in the meantime, I decide to all right. I might as well just uh, just have some fun with this. And uh, I I take some I take some personal videos. Let people know what's going on as time is going by. I hear them outside sort of trying to mess with the code, trying to mess with the deadbolt. I'm pulling, they're pushing. And at one point they say, I I overhear the word fire department. I'm like, are you kidding me? No, before that, they say they're going to have to get the engineer of Union Station. And if that doesn't work, then they'll have to call the fire department. So they end up calling the damn fire department. And um, they didn't just sort of like wedge the door open. Um, it they used axes. They used they. It's like they used the damn jaws of life to to get somebody out of a car. But and I actually have this saved in my highlights. The this entire day, the whole story is saved on my Instagram highlights. And just one of the craziest ones is I'm filming the door. As you see, it crack open. One axe comes through to wedge it, and then the second axe is just coming through, and they are breaking down this damn door. And I come out, there's all these firefighters, but it's not just the firefighters, not just my family. The entire hall is filled with people. And I come out, everybody cheers, and I'm laughing and stuff. So it's, it's funny as hell, but I'm fortunate that it happened to me and not somebody else who, you know, like an elderly lady or something like that, who, who might have, or somebody who is claustrophobic or gets easy anxiety. So um, I, I look at it as it happened to me for a reason. I'm glad I could have some fun with it. And um, there were a lot of people who were just, just clung to my new, my feed that day, just waiting to know what the heck was happening and why I was stuck in a bathroom for about 45 minutes. Oh man. That, yeah, it was, it was definitely <laughs> riveting uh, video there for, for a while until, until I saw you get out. I was, I was concerned, but yeah, um, that was, uh, I'm glad you have it saved and we'll, we'll post your, uh, your social media links and, uh, uh-huh your website on, on the podcast. So everybody can, can go check you out and, uh, and get, you know, pre-order the book or, you know, if, yeah, I mean, it, it'll be a, this will come out a couple of days before the, the book does. So yeah, go, go pre-order it. Michael Murphy. Thank you so much, man. I would love to catch up again, um, you know, around when the next book comes out, or even if you just have something to say and you want, want to come on and, uh, and shoot the shit for a while. Jeremy, uh, consider it done, man. Thank you so much. This has been an absolute pleasure. Again, I, I love your podcast and it's it's an honor to be on and, and a part of your community. Um, love what you're doing. And again, thank you so much for having me on. I appreciate it, Michael. Thank you so much, man. We'll talk soon. Sounds good. 
All right, that was Michael Murphy. Um, everybody, make sure you go out and either pre-order or order his book. Um, it comes out Tuesday, April 13th. So um, I, I, it's highly recommended for me, and uh, I will definitely be spreading the word as much as possible. Um, and anybody that, that was listening there at the end, that story he told uh, about being stuck in the bathroom, um, I know you haven't heard it yet, Brandon, but like, this is hilarious. I mean, it, it's not that, fu- I mean, it's kind of like at first you're like, oh man, like he's like literally stuck in the bathroom at, um, I think union station in Denver, um, waiting for, they, they had to bring the fire department out and like break the door down to get him out of there. It was the craziest thing. So, Dang. um, yeah, so where that's crazy. Where can we, uh, where can you pre-order the book or it's in the link is in my bio and, um, we'll share his, uh, social media links too. Um, and I'll just put a link for the book, right. In, right for the Amazon, uh, order page right there. So yeah, man, I appreciate, uh, Michael spending some time with me. It was, a, it was a great conversation and, um, yeah, rooting him on with this book and, and there's going to be two more parts to it, which is awesome. So I'm looking forward to that. But uh, yeah, Brandon. So um, one more time to like this is will be the last time we talk about uh, vaccinations on the podcast. Oh yeah. But I uh, know you you uh, got vaccinated this week, huh? I did. Yeah, I went I went and got my vaccination on Monday, um, and I had zero side effects. I got the one and done, the Johnson and Johnson. I think I got maybe a little bit of headache. But I haven't been sleeping well anyway, just because I can't really sleep with my knee thing, oh, with my man. knee surgery. But how's uh, the knee doing? It's good. I think the only side effect I had from the vaccine, um, probably just the Bill Gates microchip. Um, <laughs> I'm now being followed, which you know, I don't know how long the microchip lasts. Hopefully, it's you know um, dissolves over time, maybe. Uh, and I, I'm sure it's probably like 1 billion parts per milliliter because when they break the vaccine up, you know, how would you know if you get the microchip or not? So there's probably several, probably well, several microchips uh, in my, this, in my blood right now. Anyway, this will be our last uh, time talking about the vaccine at least. <laughs> no, until, I, I, it was uh, fine, man. I, I did it for the greater good of society. That's my personal belief. I know, um, we all have the freedom of choice and, yeah. Uh, I would urge people to do the same thing, but you know, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna make any, I don't want anybody to have to do anything they don't want to do, right. you know, and everybody's situation is different. Uh, but the knee I'm moving along, you know, it's still pretty painful, but yeah, ditch the crutches pretty soon. We'll be, we'll be up and at them. That's good, man. That's good. Um, yeah, well let's, uh, you know, this, the interview was long, so we'll keep this, short and sweet um you know go check out michael murphy's book when i fell let me get the uh sorry i got gotta get the uh second half of that it's when i fell how i rerouted my life and found strength in a severed spine Hmm. available april 13th it's available now for pre-order though so please uh rerouted my life get that 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 really that title really gets me rerouted my life that's a good one He's, he's an interesting guy, man. I know you're going to enjoy it. So, um, you know, check out Anton on Queen Sugar on Tuesday. Uh, season 5, Episode 9. You can watch it on Hulu uh, if you don't catch it on Tuesday. Um, anyway, and, 
and yeah thank you for listening uh if you could share rate review like we'd appreciate all that and uh yeah rest in peace dmx oh man shout out x Dang.